This is intense. What's up, guys? It's Jenna, and I am joined today by one of my favorite coworkers, also my boss. You may know him from my Instagram. His name is Travis. What's up, Travis? How's it going? <laughs> so we are recording live from Downrange, aka the War Zone, aka Afghanistan. And we wanted to give you an update on our lives because I know that many of you have gotten to know Travis, you're invested in his food reviews, and I just want to give you like a behind the scenes look at who I get to work with. So Travis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Jenna, first of all, thank you for having me. You're so I welcome. appreciate it very much. <laughs> uh, and you know, I look forward to all your Instagrams. And As everyone at work does. I know, my favorite part of the day is just, <laughs> I, that's my thumb workout, honestly. It's how fast can I click through. Just getting through, through my story. Through Jenna's story. Um, so, yeah, so we met through MAG. Um, Which is the company that we work yeah, for. MAG Anybody Aerospace. Anybody didn't know. Um, for, how was, was it, a year ago? At least a year, probably a year and a half, because I've been with the company a year and a half, and I think you were one of the first people I met. Two years, yeah. So I had one rotation, and then off, and then I think you joined the team. MVP, uh, the only girl. <laughs> that's a whole nother. <laughs> we don't have time for that today. <laughs> so yeah, so Travis and I have been knowing each other for about a year and a half now, and we rotate into Afghanistan 60 days at a time. So 60 days we work. 60 days we go home and we can do whatever we want. Rodeo and golf. Exactly. And I really resonated with Travis because he's also a professional athlete. So we share some of the same like goals when we go home, some of the same struggles. So tell us about your extracurricular life. Yeah. So when I'm home, uh, depending on the season, a lot of times during the summer is beach volleyball. Uh, and back a few years ago before my body started taking a toll for the worst, <laughs> uh, I was pretty competitive along the East Coast and have some top 10 finishes, a couple finals appearances. Um, so I've taken a little money home. Uh, and then outside of the summer, I just play golf all the time. And obviously my Instagram is literally me swinging <laughs> a golf club. There's even a golf, day. what do you call it? A tee with a net here so you can stay. Oh yeah. Stay tuned up. Oh yeah, I'm swinging at least 500 times a day. They're not good, <laughs> but they go. Yeah, so Travis and I both have that in common, that we have certain things that we're working on when we come out here, and I think that's part of what helps pass the time. Or at least it keeps me sane to know that when I go home, I have something to look forward to, but it's a little bit difficult to come out of here, you know, being a pro athlete, to step away from what you know. You kind of go through that difficulty when you get back of getting back into the swing of things. See what I did there? Yeah. Into the swing. That's the most difficult part, really, because obviously for me, I like weight train and do everything, but the technical part of everything is completely gone. Mm -hmm. So you can grow your body, but your technical aspects of everything isn't growing along with you. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah, it definitely takes, like when I get back, I feel like I haven't ridden in a hundred years. So to go run an actual barrel race, it takes probably 10 runs before I feel back to speed. But like Travis was saying, when I'm out here, I can get in physically the best shape possible because all there is to do really in the off time is go to the gym. And the food isn't terrible, but I wouldn't say that you're ever gonna get full. And if you try even a little bit, you can eat pretty clean here. So I think that we have the advantage that way. But talking about food, I kinda wanna go into the quarantine situation we just came out of because that's probably how most of you know Travis. <laughs> so uh, before I came to quarantine, Travis was there a good week. So I was watching his food reviews and I was heavily invested because I knew I was going to be there soon, but also it was just hilarious what we were being served. So if you aren't up to speed with all that, we went to Dubai. We were supposed to stay in a hotel room for 14 days with a couple processing days on each end. So it ended up being about 16 days in a hotel room, no outside contact. The only thing that would happen is people would bring food to your door. So talk about that. Yeah, so the at least the week before, you got to get a little rundown of everything <laughs> that was coming your way. Um, but you know what? Honestly, it it could have been worse. It could it always be worse. could have been worse. Always be worse. And as bad as you saw and everyone else saw how bad the food was, I mean, you could have eaten it, but you wouldn't have been happy with yourself. 
No. At all. Um, well, that was a good kickstart to the diet because you definitely didn't didn't overeat on calories every day. And they served a lot of weird traditional dishes. That, right. Was it beans in the morning? Yeah. Uh, rice at every meal. Slice of cheese here and there. Uh, the, the my favorite part of the hotel stuff was the apple that I got, and I did not see another apple the entire time. <laughs> so what ended up happening is. I tested positive for COVID, and I went to a different isolation hotel. A.K.A. COVID Castle. <laughs> the COVID Castle. So we had a little bit different food experiences. I got an apple pretty much every day, and a banana or, like, some type of fruit. But all in all, they were just different kinds of bad. But it looked like yours, your food overall was better than what we had at the other hotel. The breakfast selection was definitely better. But just like coming here, it's new, so it's kind of fun in the beginning, and then it just gets redundant. So, yeah, I don't so know. The, like, look, the first few days, I was super excited for every meal, because I was like, you don't know what's coming. It's like a surprise. It's a surprise every day. And then at my hotel, they labeled it, so I'd like but, look it up and see what was supposed to be in it and what the actual dish was, instead of such a mystery. Oh, yeah, I, had, I was calling rice pudding, uh, <laughs> like cornflakes and like something ridiculous oh and the cornflakes they brought a thing of cornflakes every single day so i stacked mine on top of each other to keep track of which day i was on and also entertain the people that would come to clean the rooms how tall did you how tall did it get well it was 16 boxes so i stacked it by my bed when i reached the ceiling on the counter <laughs> and I had to do like some different weight and balance maneuvers i put soap and conditioner in them to like balance it all out pretty involved but I had time did did you get to order any food at the other hotel like from like the apps so the other hotel was actually a long ways away from where we were originally held and when I was on the way to that hotel I was starting to get nervous because we were driving for like 30 minutes and all of the buildings disappeared and I'm like is this how sex trafficking (laughs) starts that was definitely a topic of conversation in today's world so I was having like moments of anxiety where I was like sharing my location with some of our other leadership some of my family at home like letting them know just in case I go off the grid this is my last known location but we got there and it was just a long ways away from everything so there was actually only about 10 restaurants that delivered and they were all Middle Eastern or Lebanese or Egyptian there wasn't anything like strictly American so that was kind of interesting to order from those places anyways, but definitely better than the hotel food. Yeah, I think that, especially like in the situation that we were in, like taking advantage of the local cuisine as much as possible, yeah. as much as you can tolerate, definitely broadens your horizon uh, overall and opens your eyes to what everyone else in the world eats. Because I know in America, we sort of get tunnel vision on mm-hmm. meat and potatoes, <laughs> McDonald's, which I did have McDonald's was little it was okay but uh europe has europe has mcdonald's like they haven't figured out they haven't figured out so i definitely got to know like the classic middle eastern dishes like a shawarma falafel and i actually really liked those things when i ordered out but the low budget meals they were delivering to our door i don't know if that was quite representative of what that stuff should taste like oh no not at all But but it definitely opened my eyes to different customs because beans for breakfast just doesn't come across my mind but apparently that's something that's normal oh yeah i uh one of my one of the highlights of quarantine for me is obviously we didn't have any human interaction (laughs) so when you like maybe like you're standing in the bathroom and they knock on the door and you have your mask in hand and you can open it real fast to like see the person (laughs) and make eye contact and they give them a wave and they like they know the struggle that you're going through (laughs) Yeah, that and I had a big window, so I would just sit there like a dog and watch people drive by or watch the little workers work on the hotel pool. It's kind of sad. But other than entertaining myself with food reviews, some of the other things that I tried to do in quarantine was work on my websites, expand my advertising as far as my shirts go, and then write a lot in my book. So that's kind of what kept me sane, um, was getting to do those extracurricular activities, which... Now that we're here in Afghanistan, I'm still going to try to carry those throughout my rotation here, but I want to talk about the day-to-day life because I get a ton of questions about this, and usually I'm kind of not sure what all I can share or what I can't, but since I'm sitting here with the boss, you know, 
<laughs> That's an extra set of ears to quality check what I'm saying. <laughs> so, Travis, what's a basic day like in Afghanistan? Like, what do you do when you wake up? How's work? Yeah, so for me, uh, my day starts around 1 a.m. Um, wake up, you know, do the whole hygiene thing, wash your face, brush your teeth. Uh, depending on if you're flying or not is whether you're determined if you're wearing a polo or a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, for me at least. I can't really speak to the rest of the crew because we want them to be as comfortable as possible. I wear a t-shirt every day. <laughs> I just got a Maybe look, that's I just why got a look from Brandon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so coming to work and for me I have a lot of, or not a lot, I have a little bit of admin stuff I have to take care of, managing the schedule and making sure, checking products from the previous days um, and making sure everyone is ready for the coming day because um, I'm up before everyone, before everyone's flying. So a lot of that is getting getting the office prepped for what's going to happen, getting everything, as much mission stuff as I can done for them. Um, and then really it's just letting our operators operate and being there if they need anything. Yeah, I'd say by this point it's a pretty well-oiled machine. Like Things change obviously day to day that need handling differently, but for the most part we've been in Afghanistan for decades now. And the missions that we do we've been doing for several years. So. They've obviously changed throughout time, but it's fun to get to go and do that and get to fly, but then also come back to the U.S. and be a completely normal person. And I think for the rodeo crowd or whoever's listening to this podcast, it's so new and different. But likewise, the people here think it's so crazy and wild that I go home and ride a horse. So it's kind of funny to combine the two worlds. And I think, you know, like out here... We're so used to how it is that it's not such a novelty anymore. Like we're over 30 and we have roommates. Like I have five roommates at home. We have to be quiet. Like we're in dorm style showers. Like some of those things we just kind of forget about because it's been like that since we've, you know, for two years now for us. But for you guys at home, that's kind of like the lifestyle out here is just very minimal. Yeah, I think after like, even like for someone that like comes out here like first time and maybe they've deployed in a military setting and maybe have a somewhat small experience in that world that it's still shocking until you get a few weeks in and then your body just goes into overdrive and just normal 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 like it's okay for me to walk into a bathroom and (laughs) yeah i think you can understand what i'm hinting at but like and that's just that's just normal and it like doesn't even phase me anymore yeah and the other thing that people always ask about is like oh you know what time are you awake or how does that work well here obviously there are no breaks so we have 24-hour operations and usually there's planes in the air the whole entire time whether they're ours or not so just because Travis gets up at 1 a.m. that's not an unfortunate shift that's just part of it it's all relative so usually we're awake and working for about 12 hours of the day and then in our off time, we can do whatever we want. And for the most part, this crowd is pretty heavy into the gym. Most people yeah. eat pretty healthy. Everybody goes and does cardio, does weightlifting. So it's a good culture and just a good atmosphere to like get back in shape. And and we definitely hold each other accountable. Yeah, you're just ridiculed if you <laughs> if, <laughs> if you, you come bring, out here looking like yeah. slum. <laughs> <laughs> and with four months off, I'm not gonna lie, I'm in. I probably stand to lose 10 or 15 pounds. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Oh, yeah, I could definitely tighten up a little bit. But as far as the healthy eating goes, they, like, keep you in check. Because if you bring back a cookie or, like, a pie, oh, you're never going to hear the end of it. You're done for. So it's fun to have a group that will hold you accountable and then also encourage you to go to the gym when you don't want to. Because, of course, just like at home, some days I just don't feel like it. I definitely don't feel like cardio ever. But I want to stay, you know, in shape and hang with the group so if we go we're planning on an hour at least and you can't be that guy that leaves early or the girl no nope. just because you're a girl doesn't mean you get a free pass <laughs> from the gym if anything you gotta work harder that's true because for the most part you guys don't know what's normal for a girl to lift so you just expect a lot oh, yeah. which i like yeah. yeah and then like pushing until failure usually if i'm by myself i won't do a set until i absolutely can't lift it just because if i don't have a spotter it's just not what i'm gonna do so the training and like the accountability out here is is awesome which i really like and also a lot of people ask me what it's like being a girl in this situation so like i said i'm the only girl that flies with our program there's admin girls but as far as what i do girls are 
pretty uncommon. And a lot of times we're talking on the radio, so it's always kind of funny when you hear a girl go up on the net. You Everyone immediately, perks up. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, there's a girl? Woo! <laughs> yeah, you know that there's going to be a little more attention on you just having a female voice. And then that's also, like, indicative of my background. So I've never been that guy on the ground that's kicking down the door. I just haven't. So sometimes I feel like I have you know, have to prove myself and prove my education and prove that I know what I'm doing, know what I'm talking about. So I try to stay super sharp just to like get that credibility up front. And I think having guys that prior experience were doing that definitely yes. educate you and help you along the way to grow that information level. Right. Yeah. You definitely rise to the, to the level that you're surrounded by. So the group of people that I work with, most of them have come from the ground or they've had a lot of experience doing what I do so they definitely hold me to a certain standard and like just because I'm a female doesn't allow me any more or less error so it's all the same standards across the board and for the most part the stakes are pretty high so if you are making a mistake out there there's just no room for that like the things that you say and the assessments that you make can really have an effect on people and on operations so it is a lot of pressure but coming from, like, obviously a comp competition aspect or mindset, you get used to making decisions under pressure and dealing with a lot of things at the same time. So in a lot of ways, I feel like rodeo and just competing has helped me to sit this seat and be able to do some oh, of yeah. this stuff. And, and I think a lot of us here, like, have the same mindset as far as, like, you, everyone, every, at least every male, we have an all alphas and then we have an alpha mare. <laughs> Yes, alpha like mare. We have an alpha mare, and then that. we have all alphas. Like no one here is gonna let anyone walk all over them. Yeah, and and that that's the mindset you have to have, like day in and day out. And it's it's a battle, but at the end of the day, we're gonna we're here for each other, and we're gonna succeed together, fail together. Yeah, and it's actually it's kind of funny how close you get being out here sixty days at a time, seeing the same faces, and for the most part, it's just a handful of people. So I see the same 10 guys every day, 12 hours a day, for 60 days at a time. And going through stuff like quarantine or just being away from family, skipping Christmases and stuff like that really brings you together. Like you get to know somebody a lot faster when you go through situations like that. So it's kind of fun, the relationships that I've built with everyone out here. And we're such a diverse group. I mean, everybody comes from across the U.S. and has different backgrounds, different interests, different just totally different perspectives on life so it's kind of cool to get get a group together like that oh yeah i think we all rub off on each other in, in, <laughs> in different aspects yeah i'd say that too Just coming from the different backgrounds like you maybe like well jenna does something this way i've never done it that way <laughs> and i'm not going to tell her to her face that it's better but i'm going to adopt <laughs> what she's doing yes. And then maybe she'll pick up on it and say, like, hey. Some of those mannerisms I take home, too, so I bring those back to my family and my close friends. And just some of the way, like, the way we communicate and just the way that we act. I think the biggest thing for me getting back home is language. Yeah. Can't say copy or Roger as much copy, as I want to. Roger, your bread, <laughs> like, all the bread that is used. Like, I say that to my buddies, and they're like, bro, you're at You're home. so dumb. Like, why are you saying these things? I'm like, well, you're dumb because you don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and then, like, like how we talk to each other is not how, like, you anyone right. should, would, would really talk to anyone on, back home in the it's States. It's a little because, bit abrasive if you are little, around yeah. the culture. You're just like, wow, taken aback by that. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. We're all on the same page out here for sure. And honestly, like, in this job, you have to have kind of a thick skin because people will just tell you how it is and... You have to perform at the end of the day if you're not performing nobody's going to sugarcoat it or beat around the bush like you have to be accountable and responsible for your actions and if you fall short there's no grace <laughs> no not when people's lives are in danger uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> and rightfully so which is kind of cool about this job i really do enjoy it and i wish i could share like all of the nitty-gritty stuff but for the most part this is more than i've ever talked about it and i think you guys are just as much interested in this as you are the horse stuff so I think every week, if we can schedule it correctly, Travis and I will get in here and give you guys a little update on Bagram happenings and just what we're going through and how we're feeling. So Yeah, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had, let's see, two hard-boiled eggs, wheat toast, um, two slices of bacon, and a grapefruit and some pineapple. Score it. 
Yeah. What's the score? Oh, um, well, the pineapple was off the charts. Oh, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. And ten out of ten. That just coming <laughs> off of that quarantine food, I'd give that an eight. Like I would eat that back in the states. The bacon wasn't as good, but everything else was pretty standard. Yeah, the I had uh, powdered eggs. Oof, I don't know about those. Powdered eggs uh, with about fourteen pieces of bacon <laughs> <laughs> and two chocolate milks. <laughs> I'm a seven year old. And your rating was? Uh, 7.2. 7.2. Anything above a 5, I'll do again. But, alright guys, let us know feedback if you liked hearing about our lives here at Bagram and anything else you want us to cover in the future. Um, otherwise, we'll get to the interview for the day. I hope you learn lots. Alright, bye. Welcome, horse lovers. You're listening to the Horsepower Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Smink, ranch kid turned pro barrel racer, entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll be bringing you the most talented and accomplished, inspiring and interesting minds in the equine industry from every facet all around the world. Together, we can turn decades into days sharing knowledge and experience to elevate each other on our own personal journeys. So tighten your cinch, because here we go. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Horsepower Podcast. I am so excited to introduce our next guest today. She is a 17-time world champion equestrian. Holy smokes, she rides 18 different disciplines. And not only that, she's a model actress, and she also participates in pageants. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Amelia Wasileski. I wanted to say how cool it is that you're multidiscipline because that totally goes with the theme of the show. And I'm really excited to ask you questions, but real quick, just give us a rundown of where you're from and kind of what you do. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I am so excited to be on this podcast. We were talking earlier. This is my first official one that I've done. I've done many interviews, but first time doing a podcast, speaking about horses with an, uh, another amazing horse woman and entrepreneur like yourself. So I'm really excited for our talk today um, and all that we have in store. So I am from upstate New York in a very small town. And gosh, I've been riding horses. We always joke before I could walk, I could ride. So I've been riding quite a while now. Um, and as you said, I do the horses, modeling, acting, um, yoga, health, fitness. So there's a lot of different facets that I tap into that have really um, shaped me as a rider, as an equestrian, and overall as a, as a human being. So I'm excited to tap into those today and um, let others explore those too. That is amazing. So how many horses do you have? Right. So on our family farm, Fallbrook Stable, we have, gosh, I think we have 12 horses and technically four minis. So, you know, each two minis equals a full horse, right? <laughs> we have 12 horses and that includes our four miniature horses. We have a micro donkey and a micro mini, two regular size minis as well. Interesting. Okay. So when you say that you do 18 disciplines, but there are 12 horses, some horse in there has got to be a bit of an all around. So I won't make you list all 18 events because I don't think that I, I would be able to, but tell us about what events you do and then we'll talk about how you are using your horsepower and which horses you use for each. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a feeling you might ask me about these 18 classes, so I did write them <laughs> this. <laughs> All right, well, rattle them off. I'm, I'm excited. I was just saying before the show that I didn't think I could even list 18 events to even <laughs> rattle off, let alone ride in them, and then to be so good that you're winning the all-around, not just once or twice, but 17 times. That's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, so we'll get into that. Um, so yes, I am a multiple world and reserve world champion. I've shown at the Appaloosa Circuit, since 2010 which is crazy to think that you know that was so long ago when i started oh my goodness <laughs> um but yeah i started riding as an all-around rider which um as an all-around rider it is a one horse combination 
I also did have some barrel horses that I used um, for my barrel racing. But like you said, I completed at the Appaloosa Youth National Show, I completed in 18 different classes, which were made up of English, Western, barrel racing, trail, saddle seat, showmanship, um, hunter in hand, just to name a few that I, um, in the long list that I was in. And so for those classes, I use predominantly one horse when I first started, whose wow. name is Charles Invite. Um, and he became my all-around horse. So he was the horse that I started with Western. He was a phenomenal Western pleasure horse um, that turned into doing showmanship, that turned into doing hunter under saddle, all my pattern classes. And from there, um, we just started competing for the all-around title and really building an incredible bond that to this day is unbreakable. And I'm really blessed to have such a phenomenal horse that I've connected with so deeply that has led me to the success, the hard work, and what it takes to be an all-around rider. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, with, with whiskey or chocolate invite, um, it was pretty interesting as a, a youth rider having to jump from learning to ride Western and slow and then go right into the English classes and having my horse move faster or sweep you. And then just learning the overall patterns for the equitation, which I do believe one year as a youth, I was showing, um, I was showing in two different age groups, well, novice and then my, my youth age. And I believe I had almost mm, 15 different patterns to memorize so that when I got to the show. That's something where you just have to look right before you go into the pen. I don't even know how you'd keep it straight otherwise. And then yeah. out there riding, it's difficult, you know, to remember which exact pattern that you've just learned because you're of course thinking about everything else you need to, to just compete and perform well. So, Absolutely. wow. Kudos. Um, question, <laughs> which, which event would you say is your favorite out of all of those? If you just had to pick one. Mm, that's the tricky part. <laughs> um, I do have a soft spot for barrel racing, but I do have to say my favorite class is showmanship. Showmanship is, on the ground, um, you know, handling your horse, going through a pattern. And the reason why I love showmanship is because it's really about the connection between you and your horse and how to communicate with your horse while not riding them. Because, you know, most of the time you do spend with your horse on the ground. So it's a very elegant pattern and being able to flow and dance with your horse and make it look easily, um, or easy and effortless while still performing at a very high level. So it's, it's difficult, but I absolutely love it because of um, the difficultness in the showmanship. Mm -hmm. And I love that you talk about the connection with your horse because it's, so, it's just unheard of really for one horse to do that many events. But at the end of the day, what every discipline or every event has in common is good horsemanship and that foundation of can you speak your horse's language? And at the end of the day, if you can communicate to your horse and move every body part and they fully understand what you're asking of them, then that's where you truly see that horsemanship and the range that one horse can truly do. Because I personally don't believe any one horse is just set or should be set in one discipline. And especially as a barrel racer, I see that, you know, horses start to lose their marbles a little bit. If all you ever do is just run, 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 and that's all they know, then all of a sudden you can't even ride that horse, you know, on a trail up to a gate. So I love that, that you do that with your animal. And can you really quickly just touch on that journey? So when you started out, what were some of the things that helped you? Did you have coaches? Were you figuring this out on your own? Or how did you grow from, you know, just a girl and her horse to all of a sudden doing this many events and being so good at it? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's great to share your success or my success and what has come about. But it's even more important to share the story and how I got there because it's probably not like many people would expect. Um, 
So when I first started out back in 2010, I was just a girl with a, a horse that uh, was a little bit trained. And we went to the world show thinking, oh, you know, we're just going to go to this big show. And I think I'm going to do great. I've been putting in the practice, yada, yada. And let me just tell you, my first year was a beat and total flop. It was so <laughs> embarrassing. My horse took off with me in my Western Pleasure class. Like, <laughs> the first year is always an eye opener, though, for a lot of people. Joke. <laughs> so, totally not what I expected. But the beautiful thing about that is when you go in as an underdog and not knowing pretty much anything about that industry or, or what the heck to um, how to raise up to that higher level in which I was moving to at the youth worlds, it's very eye-opening. Um, <laughs> so from there, that's where I saw the level of commitment that I needed, the dedication to um, training, not only physically or not only just my horse, but mentally, that became a huge journey and finding the right co coaches to help support me. Mm -hmm. So goal to commit to going again, even though, like I said, my first year, I was so embarrassed. I, you know, totally flopped it, whatever. So I went back for 2011, that whole year I committed to training, um, learning the art of English, Western barrel racing. And a lot of people ask me, you know, why are you an all around rider? Well, why not? Right. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Why why not push yourself and your horse outside your comfort zone? Even if it's messy, that's where the growth is going to be. And that's, that's truly what um, I committed to. And at such a young age, I didn't really understand that, but my, my mom did. And she's the one who really pushed me to um, go that extra mile to be the best equestrian I possibly could. So 2011, I was training really hard. We had some training horses in. Um, and I was helping to do those. And I had a really bad horse riding accident. And the, the training horse that we had in for training, which was young, um, bucked me off. And I went flying in the air, Superman flying, landed on my belly, and totally um, collapsed my spine and broke two of my vertebrae. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it was pretty severe. I was in a, a brace and had to have a special chair and all that crazy stuff. And I really thought that was career. And I the doctors thought about you at all. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I'm so grateful that I get to share the story because it this is the first time really anybody's hearing this. Um, and I think it's important to be able to discuss these things and see that where you start and where you end up can be truly life-changing. So yeah. I, love that. And I just want to foot stomp on the fact that it is okay to be a beginner, you know, and in, in the beginning, you're not going to know everything. You might go there and totally make a fool out of yourself, but you're truly only losing or failing if you don't learn and if you give up. And along that journey, just like you, I can't even imagine breaking vertebrae in my neck and then trying to come back and get on. So can you tell us a little bit about recovery and some of the emotional things that you're going through and what led up to, you know, your first ride after I, like that just oh, makes yeah. me nervous to even talk about, <laughs> scares me. Yeah. So, um, you know, the doctor said one wrong move and I could have been paralyzed. That would have been it. Right. So as I was 11 or 12 at that time, you know, I just, I, all I knew was horses and horse riding and that's what I wanted to do. And I had my goal set. And when I was told that I had to be in this brace and I couldn't ride, um, cause of my broken back for, uh, gosh, four, four to five months. And the show was in less than nine months. I didn't know how this was going to happen. And it did kind of put a damper on things. Um, but through the power of prayer, healthy eating, um, listening to my body. I was actually able to recover about a month and a half to two months earlier than they even expected, which was a miracle. A month seems like not enough time to heal an injury like that. And then to come off that early, that's incredible. 
Yeah, I think I had overall four, four, four and a half months of healing for my spine. Um, and then, like I said, the doctors couldn't believe how quickly the bone healed together. I was released off from my, um, it was like a turtle shell that I was in mm -hmm. and that I didn't ride. But as many, uh, or most crazy horse women, you know, we tend to have us. <laughs> um, so I can remember the first day I got back on one of our old school horses and it was just so painful. I couldn't even, the, the pain that I was in to ride, I couldn't even bend down to touch my knees without bawling my eyes out. And I knew it was a long recovery, but I also knew that I still had that sight and that goal to make it to that world show. Mm -hmm. And so through the recovery process, my mom really helped with training my horses, um, slowly retraining my body. And that's where my yoga and wellness started to come in and where I really learned about, I learned a lot about um, movement, yoga, meditation, like I said, this is where the mind management started to come in. Mm -hmm. So those um, next couple of months really focused. Um, I had a great trainer helping me. Went to the world show. Um, again, still a little um, immobile from being in that, in that contraption. Went to the world show, showed a few classes, and that was the first year that I won my first title in Western Pleasure. Wow, what a comeback. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So at that yeah. point, how many events were you competing in? So that was only my second year, and I believe I was probably only com um, completing or competing in um, five or six events. Mm -hmm. So that's not still, That's still a handful. You know, it's not once it is in the arena. It's like, you got to do that six different times with – coming off that injury? Yeah. Yeah. So although the injury was definitely life-changing, there was a huge message to be learned and it made the comeback and the success even, even greater. And not even just winning the trophy. Winning trophies is great, but it's really about who you're becoming along that journey and what you're learning through that process of, of whatever you're willing to achieve or wanting to achieve. I love that you say that. Absolutely. And so then from that year, that was kind of had to be eye opening for you. So would you say that you changed your lifestyle with yoga and committed to that then? Or, or at what point did you start becoming, I guess you'd call it a yogi, but I follow you now and I just assume you've been doing it forever. But that was kind of when that started. That was definitely the turning point. And that was also the year I my um, parents hired on a coach. She was, her name is Sue Cumming Schultz. Um, she was one of the best coaches I've ever had. And she coached not only how to be an equestrian and riding and everything, but that's where I learned yoga and the power of um, yoga, the mental training. And that was the year that became a huge um, aspect of my life. And part of Sue's training for all of her kids that were equestrians was you had to partake in some, um, some type of activity, especially yoga that creates mindfulness. And that is what has stuck with me. And I have done that ever since. So talk to me a little bit about the competitor's mindset as it relates to that, because as any competitor knows, usually you're not going to win more than you lose. It's just the nature of the game. So we all have to somehow find a way to lose gracefully, continue on, have a short memory, you know, whatever, whatever it is you need to tell yourself so that that last run or performance doesn't affect the next one especially doing so many different events in one day if you have a bad class how do you get yourself back on track focused and ready to roll for the next one because the reaction time for you is so much quicker than normal usually like a barrel racer they hit a barrel they don't really have to get it together until the next day at the earliest but usually probably the next week so talk to us about that Yes. And, um, it's a practice just like anything over time. It's a continuous practice and year after year after I came back 
um, you start to learn the mastery of losing with grace. And it's a beautiful thing when you can just surrender to uh, not having the perfect go or not having the perfect ride, but then switch your mind into, okay, well, guess what? I've got the next class coming up or I've got the next event. And now it's time to partake 110% in that moment for that class. So yes, starting out, I was a mess. You know, so many times I go back to the trailer crying, get myself cleaned up and get right back into the next um, event. But like I said, through practice and mastering the mind of um, allowing yourself to be, move on, and then show up to the best of your ability is really um, the turning point. And I think that's the game changer. So I competed sometimes against 45 to 100 girls in a class, girls and guys, equestrian. So these classes were huge. And these equestrians they were tough mm -hmm. so i got to see what you know even girls that were older than me competing it was very eye-opening because i got to see what they're made of and when you're in that space of people who are just out there putting in their a game you start to become that and attract that and then you start to see okay what are they doing that i'm missing and that was where the whole mental piece came in as well as when you're competing against that many people, you stay in your own lane. And I think that's one of the biggest things is keeping myself focused on me and my horse, trusting my horse that we are here, we are together, and we are going to give it our all. And everyone else is doing the same. I love that. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy, which is a quote that I remember and really resonate with because you just have to be better than you the last day or the last time that you ran rather than comparing yourself to constantly comparing yourself to whoever won or whoever's better than you or further along on their journey. And I love how you talked about, you know, coming out, having that attitude where you can quickly turn around and go back and, and compete. And it reminded me of um, a story, which I, I want to share before I forget, but when I got to carry flags at the national finals rodeo. One of my favorite things to do was to look at the competitors faces after they came out of the arena. And that told like, that is where I could see who the champions were, like who at their core was just a champion mindset champion, no matter what that scoreboard said, no matter what their time was, like you could see the people who were mentally tough. And I feel like that's what it takes to compete at that high level and to succeed. Um, because the mental Olympics that we put ourselves through, you know, our horses don't understand if they did really well or if they just, you know, just barely didn't place. They give us their full effort. And so we have to give that back to them. And they're feeding off of our energy. So if you don't have it together, that absolutely carries into your horse. So with that thought, like we are the leaders for our animals, which is why that mental focus piece is so important. Um, and for anybody who isn't already involved in yoga, what would be your recommendation? Should they go sign up for a class? Should they YouTube stuff? Like what are some resources or recommendations you have for people wanting to get into it? Yes, absolutely. So really it depends on the person and what they are, um, what they like to do best. You can definitely find at home classes, um, go to your local studio, even, something I know a lot of people think that yoga is movement which it is but a lot of it is also just sitting meditating and breathing and learning to um, surrender and let go and be in the present so what I always tell my clients because I teach yoga and fitness as well starting off with yoga simply just find a seated position close your eyes and only start off with a small amount of time so even 30 seconds to a minute and just allow yourself to breathe, notice your breath. And right there, as you start to focus on your breathing, you're creating presence. And presence is yoga, right? Being in the present moment. And um, that's the best way to really start. And then from there, you can build your time up. And a lot of people always ask me, well, you do 101 things. How the heck can you do that? <laughs> 
training the mind to be able to stay focused on one task at a time and to, um, you know, harmonize everything I do very slowly, methodically, yet still with energy. And that comes from a, a yoga practice for sure. So let me ask you this. What is your pre-competition regimen? Do you do something like that before you go and compete if you have time or what would, what would you recommend if you had all the time in the world? Yeah, if you had all the time in the world or a really great preparation, um, I love doing sun salutations, which is um, a yoga flow to help energize and warm up the body. So typically, I, you know, at the horse shows, we get up pretty early. So that's a great way to get the energy in the body moving. From there, stillness, tapping into your breath, that is one thing you can really control, especially if you're um, – a first time beginner equestrian or nervous in the show pen, like you said, your horse is going to react to that. So that's one thing I've learned is to manage the breath, to keep me calm, to keep me focused. And so that's something that I would do before my classes and still do to this day, just to, you know, get my mind in the right frame. Mm -hmm. um, and then other than that, just keeping a really healthy and clean diet um, like you said, our horses are performing for us 110%. So if I expect my horse to be a world champion athlete, I also expect my, myself to do that as well, um, to know exactly what my horse is going through. And so that way I can keep up with my horse so, mm -hmm. as well. Too. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we restrict our horses diets, you know, to mm -hmm the exact amount of grain they're getting, the exact amount of alfalfa. And I think we also have to carry that same expectation for ourselves. So are we fit? Are we mentally able to be present um, during the competition, during practice? Are we giving them our all? Because they're certainly um, giving it to us. And along with that, all of the mindfulness practice that you do and yoga, that is something that can totally be done on the rodeo road or while going to competitions, because a lot of times we don't have a gym or we don't have access to a class, but we always have a grassy spot beside the trailer or even in the living quarters, or if you don't have a living quarters, just in the seat of your truck. And for me, it's so important to get a hold of my heart rate, get a hold of my emotions and just my anxiety and excitement before I go into a run or I, I literally cannot react. I'm not present. If if I get too nervous, my, I just black out in there and I can't lift a leg. I can't really help my horse. So for me, and it took a while to, to practice this. And definitely in the beginning, I was just could barely remember anything from a run, but the more competition, the better I got. And then all of a sudden I'm able to be there and think ahead of my horse and really help him in a run. And then you start to slow it all down. You, you notice things so much more and you can make those minute adjustments that the pros are really doing. They're doing it. They're so in tune. They're so aware and present um, that they've just practiced that situation so much and have control of their mind and their emotions that what a huge advantage, but we can totally replicate that, you know, just in our truck or in the trailer. So I love that you said that. And just to you can piggyback your Oh, I said, heck, you can do it, you know, right on the, the back of your horse sitting in your saddle. Oh, I love that. Actually, yeah. I really love that. Go find a corner, park it, and just yeah. take a minute. Exactly. Lord knows there's always time because I'm always on too early and like, oh gosh, what to do? <laughs> <laughs> but kind of piggybacking into stretching for a human, um, do you do any stretching with your horses? I know that's kind of not super common, but something that I'm definitely interested in. And I'd just like to get your take. Yes. So just like I have a yoga regimen that's specific to my body, each of my horses um, have one as well. And we do a lot of, so even before I start to get into more advanced stuff with the horses, they start off suppling and bending, stretching out their neck, stretching out their shoulders. I'll then do some leg yielding, you know, making sure they are listening off of my leg. Another thing too, with my all around horses, they are all trained so I can ride them bareback and bridleless and they can just listen to my seat and my legs. Huge liberty. So they, yeah. They are very well trained. They're very well connected. Um, 
but with all that training does have to come the stretching. So we do lots of leg yielding, then we'll move into two, two tracking, pushing those hips around, getting them supple throughout their spine. And then eventually, you know, that can take up anywhere from five to um, 15 minutes. Then we'll start to move into the true training in that aspect as well. I think that riding bareback is the most underrated tool in any equestrian's toolbox. It doesn't cost you anything. It takes less effort than saddling up. And it has done wonders for my seat and my balance and my rhythm and my feel. And sometimes it blows my mind when, you know, I'll post like a video of me, you know, loping my horse or trotting is even harder trotting bareback while also videoing. And people are like, oh, I can't believe you you do that. I could never um, do that without holding on. And it just blows my mind. If you feel like you can't, you are the person that needs it the most. And it doesn't have to be a huge event. You can just start out walking, do a light jog, even have somebody on a lead line just in case you get off balance. But the, the bareback thing for me stemmed from my college equestrian team. Our coach would make us ride without stirrups so much and hold our hands straight out to the side. And it really just strengthens your core. And I, I seriously recommend for everybody to do it. Um, and on the Liberty front, so this is a, a world that I'm just getting into. I, I love it, but I don't know that much about it. Um, what were some of the things that you did to learn? Did you go to seminars, clinics, or did you just kind of figure it out on your own? Well, um, I don't necessarily know if I did like Liberty training, but through showing at the world level, again, it was all about connection. And I think that's the biggest thing is how can you, how can you learn and communicate with your horse with little to no hands, little to no legs or, you know, whatever that is. And so from training at the world level, that is where you learn the minute details that you can communicate with your horse just through energy. So my all around horses, I can do showmanship on the ground and have them follow me and back up and set up without even touching or having a lead rope on them. And again, that comes from being a, an effective communicator on the ground with your horse, being connected and that energy going between you and your horse and it does take time to create that just like anything but once you do it can really open up so many possibilities between you and your horse i love that and really riding with no bridle or or working your horse without any tools, um, I think a lot of people forget that just because the bridle is on doesn't mean you have to use it. You still have your, right. your seat, your hands, and your voice, and the weight that you should bring. So even if I have a halter or bridle on my horse, when I go to, to stop him, I say, whoa, and I sit every time. Very rarely yep. do you actually stop my horse with the reins. And I think if, usually people kind of use the reins as a crutch. So if it's there, they use it. But for anybody who's interested in working their horses towards taking the bridle off, just start with it on, but don't use it. And then it's there as a backup. And then what I did was I took the bridle off, but I had a strap around his neck and I just inched my way into, you know, fully, fully at liberty. So it wasn't like a day transition. And if you kind of ride that way anyways, you're just building those blocks, like saying, whoa, you've always got to have a braking system <laughs> and then just using your feet regularly. So when you go to turn, are you using your outside leg? Same thing with your hands, you know, be aware of where they are. Definitely don't want them flopping. So there's a lot of things that you can do without really having any formal training that can kind of work you towards that way. But that is so amazing. I love, I love that about you talking about energy and connection. And I also want to hit on your experience as Miss um, as a competitor for Miss New York USA. So many people probably don't know this about me, but I competed for Miss Oklahoma USA just once. And it is so, it's just a world that I had no idea about. Like that is as involved as the horse world. And I just saw how dedicated all of those girls were and how they're also philanthropists and, you know, very fit, very poised, speaking on stage, interviewing, like that is such a huge accomplishment. And I read on your, on your profile that you were top 20 in New York this year. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but Oklahoma 
it doesn't seem like it would be as difficult as New York. I mean, that is the land of models. So talk to us about your experience doing that. That had to just be incredible. Yes. So I, you know, this is something that, unless it was back in that day, many people don't know, but I started off as a rodeo queen. I was Miss Teen Rodeo New York 2015. Oh so that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rodeo queen. That's where I got to kind of dive deep into the rodeo world, which I did do that before, um, you know, barrel racing and traveling a little bit like that but as a rodeo queen it's a whole different experience that's for sure it's its own world too. good and bad with that one <laughs> again my favorite thing probably like yours i loved running the flags meeting with all the young kids that were so excited to meet a rodeo queen or all the cowboys and cowgirls so it was an awesome experience after for Miss USA though too but I mean those girls yeah. that, that compete for the USA system that is a whole that should be a pro sport in itself I mean that is cutthroat <laughs> those girls are just stunning I mean you're stunning to I mean just talk to us about what that's like thank you so once I completed my youth world showing I aged out and you know after I did that for 10 years of my life I'm like what the heck's next what is going to challenge <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the hardest things as an as an athlete or as a world competitor is I always need to find something pushing me or drawing me forward and so there was a couple of years that I lost that and I just felt totally lost with my life um, and that's where I kind of looked at pageants I, I figured you know they looked hard they looked competitive you know what what can they offer me and what can I offer pageants going into that world? So back in 2017, I ran for Miss Earth United States. That was my very first pageant. Oh, wow. And I believe I was in the top 10, which was huge because I, I really didn't know what I was doing. Flashback to last year, I ran, or maybe it was this year. Gosh, I don't even know what year it was. I ran for, like you said, it's like it doesn't even count. <laughs> it's all a blur right now. I ran for Miss New York USA, which was a whole nother ball game. And I have to be honest, I, I did pretty well for my first time. I felt like I was going back to the world show my very first time. There was so many things that I thought I knew that I was ready for this pageant. And I went and I was just like, ugh. I'm, you know, I'm, be I'm a beginner again. again. <laughs> what the heck? Um, very humbling experience learned. I have a lot more work to do. The girl who won is beautiful. She did a great job. And again, it's you, like you said, these girls, they are fit. They are well-rounded. They are well-spoken philanthropists. So it was very inspiring. Don't have another job that takes up as much time as owning a horse because at the end of the day, having a horse is like having a kid and it just takes so much time out of the day to do. Yes. So how do you juggle all of that? How do you prioritize and, and how do you find success across so many different interests? So the thing is success and my mom has been a huge advocate on this is mastery of one sport mm -hmm. so you want to be successful in all areas of your life or you know whatever area you choose my one tip would be to go in dive in deep and be the master or, be, or achieve for mastery in whatever uh, sport job life event that you are in so for me i committed to horseback riding, that's it, for 10 years of my life. And it was a very young age. I never partied. I never drank. I barely went to sleepovers. A lot of people thought my mom was terrible or I lived a sheltered life. <laughs> but living that lifestyle and being so involved into one thing that's what's leading to me success still to this day over all different areas. And that was from the commitment to one thing. 
I love that. It kind of reminds me of a quote, which I needed to wake up to a few years ago trying to juggle way too many things, but you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And that kind of goes right along those lines. So really, really like what you had to say there. Well, Emily, I think we ought to wrap it up here. I have really enjoyed getting to talk to you. Um, is there anything you want to say in closing or find like give people a website where they could find you and follow up if they have further questions? Yeah, um, well, I really enjoyed today's talk. I'm so excited for this and um, hope that it at least inspires those young equestrians, even adults, to truly follow whatever they're their passion is to dive deep into that, no matter if you're a beginner or a pro, and just really have fun with whatever you choose to do. Um, as far as I have my Instagram at Emilia Washaleski, and you can find me on Facebook as well. I do all different sorts of things, modeling and acting. I know Jenna um, happened to say that I have my first movie that I was in coming out at the end of August. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. What is the movie? The movie is called the binge and it will be on Hulu. Oh my um, God. I'm so excited. That is so it's cool. They're bragging at the same time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, movie that I'm in with Vince Vaughn and I'm, like, oh, I'm excited. Kidding. Oh my gosh, I love him. Okay, we have to talk about this movie before you go. So <laughs> oh gosh. How, how did you get into that? And then I have I just have so many questions, but we'll start there. How did you get into acting? Okay, so I first started off modeling and I got my first modeling gig when I was showing horses at the world show. <laughs> um one of the boutique owners asked me to come model at age 15. That was my first paid modeling job. From there, it, it just kind of skyrocketed, and I've been doing a lot of commercials and modeling. But secretly, through all the horse stuff, I have a huge passion for film and acting. I love to entertain people. Um, it's kind of like living a, a secret double life. You know, I get to get all glammed up, but then I get to go shovel horse crap at the same time. <laughs> so I... I have an agent and that's how I found out about this this film that was in our area and I happened to apply for it and got a really great role in this movie. Um, I, do, I did another movie before that where I was just an extra and then you kind of work your way up. Mm -hmm. So I um, and then from there I just have even bigger goals which is one I would love to do a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. It would be really fun. And then um, my other goal is to do like a Netflix horse series. I love Netflix. I feel like they come out with some really great content and some really great films. So I think that would be pretty epic as well. They really do, honestly. I mean, I'm a huge Netflix watcher. I just have it on in the background almost every day just for something, you know, noise. But some of the Netflix movies have done just as well as the big screens. And this year, I think in particular, it's just interesting in that you know, the world has shut down for so long. Um, so right. filming with Vince Vaughn, talk about that. Were you starstruck? Were you nervous? Um, um, what was it like being on set? Well, he, I was actually very excited. It was a very fun set, great producers, a bunch of people. And he was so silly and so chill that you honestly felt like you were hanging out with your best friend or something. And I know that like sounds crazy to say, but he was just as crazy as us young kids playing, you know, in the film as, as party goers, which is, which is hilarious. Uh, so it was, it was extremely fun. He was super nice to work with and yeah, it was a great first big movie experience. That's amazing. I love hearing how the actors or actresses really are, you know, on set, like when the camera's off, are they huge diva? Are they what you think? So I love that, that he was actually cool. Um, so was there a premiere or is there a premiere? Is that still coming? And, and that will be so cool to walk the red carpet. Are you so stoked? Like, what are you going to wear? <laughs> Fortunately, because of everything that's going on, having one. So I'm oh, really bummed. But you're still in the movie. So it's still so awesome. Very cool. 
so and we're the the group that I was in we're thinking about holding like a private one or they're doing a private one so that will still be just as fun as well I would still wear a fancy dress and heels to the sky if I were you and have a red jacket, even if it's a red rug like take a picture in your fancy dress on the red rug <laughs> On a, on a bathroom rug and stairs yes, on the rug. I mean, just, you know, cropping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see your beautiful photos and all your gowns looking dreamy. You got it going on. I love dressing up. I seriously love getting all dolled up and like old Hollywood looking red lipstick, super big Marilyn Monroe fan. So, I mean, yep. that's right up my alley. But Emily, Amelia, it was so incredible to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Like, you're inspiring me. It's nighttime here. I'm in Dubai. So we're like a world away from each other, but I'm fired up. So I hope that you guys are too. I hope you learned a lot and please reach out to her if you have any questions or want to know anything else about what she is putting out. So follow her on all her social media. She has great content and see for yourself just how gorgeous she is. So thank you guys. Thanks for listening to the Horsepower Podcast. Whoa. I said, whoa. Before you go, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode today, please tag and share on social media to help us connect other horse lovers around the globe. Like, subscribe, and review. It would seriously help, and I will be forever grateful. And as always, thank you for listening to the Horsepower Podcast. Until next time, keep your head up and your heels down.